Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 116 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. And I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim, you know, all of your life and want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, now, with that, you know, out of the way, let's get into today's topic. And today's topic, inshallah, we will conclude um, many of our topics that we covered this this season uh, regarding, you know, Islam and modern society, Islam and the LGBT, like just the state of, you know, Muslims in today's world. And, you know, um, today is not going to be the last episode of the season. Inshallah, we have, uh, you know, the, the, the couple last episodes are, are, are coming. This actually, today's episode is also, it's a conclusion to what we said before, but it's also an introduction to the final episodes of the season. So we'll we'll start by this. There, there, there's Subhanallah. There is um, no one is is the same. No one is the same. We're all different, and we all have different levels of faith, different levels of commitment when it comes to Islam. That is a fact. Even during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the companions were not all the same. They were not all on the same level. They were the best of the Muslims. By the way, the top elite group of Muslims were always going to be the companions no one can you know uh, uh, exceed uh, their uh, you know belief or their, their belief or whatever they did no one can do that however we can strive to you know become like them get inspired by them and uh, above all inspired by the prophet for him to be our ultimate role model so yeah so again people will be different uh, and people will be, uh, uh, you know, again, not, not all the same. Some might be close, but no, no, no one will be, um, you know, identical when it comes to the Islamic faith or the, the Islamic identity. No one will be identical to, you know, someone else. Everyone will vary, and that is actually not a bad thing. Uh, the reason why we're all... And one of the main reasons why we're talking about this today is not just to look at the, the Muslim nation as a whole and to assess where do we stand individually. Because you have to identify which Muslim are you and try to be better. No matter how high or how low you find yourself, you have to try to be better because you're not going to get there. Don't think that, oh, I already got there. There's no there. There's no top. There's no top spot here. You can always, always strive to be better until the day you die. Do you guys understand this? Don't think, oh, I'm good. I think I got it. I'm, I'm, I I like where I am right now. No, that is actually very incorrect. There's no such thing as you like, you can always be better. Um, so we're trying to assess ourselves individually from looking at the Muslims or the Muslim nation as a whole currently. We can also use uh, what we'll talk about today in terms of uh, advising other Muslims, trying to help them out, 
if if they have shortcomings and their shortcomings are obvious, then we can talk to them. You know, help each other to elevate each other, basically. To you know, and and that is something that the Prophet commanded us to do: elevate one another. Don't be selfish. Now, I want to mention something, and and this is uh, very interesting uh, because a lot of people seem to be misunderstanding this. When you look at your brother or sister in Islam, you're not allowed to um, envy, not envy them, but you're not allowed to look at their wealth, for example, and say, oh man, I need to, to be like that. Why am I not like that? Why am I not, you know, and, and that level, like have that amount of money or, you know, have that big, big of a house or whatever. This is actually haram in Islam. This is a sin. Do you know why it's a sin? Because number one, that means you are not content with what Allah gave you. And guess what? That, that also does not, and this is, a, a, this is a big misconception, that when we say you should be content with what Allah gave you in terms of provision, in terms of wealth, some people say, well, does that mean I'm, I just should you know, stay put? Don't don't go anywhere. Don't try to be better. Don't try to get a better job. Or no, nobody's saying that. As a matter of fact, you should try to enhance your financial situation. And whatever you get from money is always. This is always written for you to get. You're not getting anything. The Prophet said what? أَعْلَمُوا أَنَّهُ لَن تُوَفَّى نَفْسٌ حَتَّى كَامِلَ رِزْقَهَا So uh, uh, the Prophet said, no one will die until they get their full provision that was written for them. We talked about this in the, in, in the, in the series of Destiny. You're destined to get a specific amount of wealth. You won't go above that or below that. You will die when you get specifically the same exact amount that was written for you. Now, you, you don't know because you don't know the future. You don't know the unseen. You don't know what is your destiny. So you strive to be better. Now, there are conditions. Do not do haram things to get that money. Don't go rob a bank or don't go deal in usury or don't go do anything unethical because it's haram. Your, your, your money, that was that money that was written for you, you were going to receive it anyway, but you chose because you were impatient. Uh, you chose to do it through haram way and, and unlawful uh, you know, methods. So that's number one. It has to be a halal source. Number two, if you're not getting what you're you know, seeking, do not look at around you and say, oh Allah, why am I not getting that much? You know, don't compare yourself to your Muslim brother and sister and say, yeah, wh why do they have more than me? Like, what are they doing? No, because again, you should be, you should work hard to get what you seek, what you want to have a better life. But beyond that, don't do anything. Don't go look at, you know, your Muslim brother or your Muslim sister. Don't do that. Because unfortunately in our today, in today's society, in today's world, you see a lot of people, you know, looking at whatever their Muslim neighbors or their Muslim family members or whatever, they look at what they have and they say, well, yeah, look at the, you know, they, they, they have a lot of money, you know, they're pretty arrogant or, you know, I don't know how they got that money. They're not that bright or I should have been in that place. And, and wallahi, you hear things like that and it's sad because number one, it's, it's sinful. Number two, you're not content with what you have. You know, every time, uh, you know, we'll be driving around and, and my wife, for example, I'll be driving with my wife and then we look at a big mansion, for example. And my wife was like, wow, look at that mansion. This is, this is amazing. 
Inshallah, like, like I wonder what people. There's nothing wrong with that. She's not looking like comparing her. Like we should have that mention, but she's like, you know, like I wonder what those people do for a living. It's a very normal, and and this is not a sinful question in any way, shape, or form. But always, my answer is like, you know what? Who cares? Those people, those owners, will be buried underground. That's their end. <laughs> so no matter how big of a mansion they have, no matter how number, like you know, no matter if they have like 10, 20 cars, and you know if they have like uh, like a hundred billion dollars in their their bank account, they will be buried under the ground, and that's their end. None of that will matter. None of this will matter. What will matter is their deeds. And one of the things that I always reply with, Wallah, and I mean it 100%, is like, in Jannah, this will be nothing. This big mansion, inshallah, if we get to Jannah, because Jannah is not guaranteed to any of us, just to let you know. You could do your best and then start having shortcomings and become detach yourself from the, the religion. Some people did that. Some people were religious, and then the, the society, the world took over. So no one is guaranteed Jannah. So I, I always say, if we are meant, inshallah, hopefully when we get to Jannah, inshallah, this mansion that you're looking at is going to be like a tiny shed or nothing, not even. It's going to be tiny, nothing, compared to, inshallah, our homes in Jannah. And I say homes, because we'll, be, we'll own multiple homes, inshallah, in Jannah. So always look at the bigger picture. And this is something that I encourage every single one of us to do. Yes, we are allowed in this world to work, strive, and, you know, have a better life. However, do not forget the big picture, which is Jannah, your home in Jannah, your mansion in Jannah, mansions, not even one, like I said. That is your goal, not to buy a mansion in this life. Because, again, at the end of the day, you know, Anything you own, remember that big rule that we kept we keep talking about, that one ultimate rule. Anything you own, you will lose or it will lose you. You either will die before enjoying this fully, and when do you actually enjoy it fully? Allah knows best. Or you will lose it, meaning you might sell it. You might, God forbid, lose your money and you have to like give it away or something bad might happen to it. That's, by the way, anything you own, look at it this way. You will lose it or it will lose you. Your phone that you have, either you're going to sell it, replace it, or it's going to get broken or lost, or you will die before fully using you know, it until like its potential. That is one of the outcomes must take place. One of the things must happen because nothing is permanent in this life. So looking at a big mansion, yeah, mashallah, amazing, good for the people. However, we have bigger aims and this comes actually to us from a very specific situation that happened with the prophet and umar ibn al-khattab may allah be pleased with him umar ibn al-khattab went uh, to talk to uh, the prophet one time and he uh, saw that the prophet was getting up he was asleep he was taking a nap and then he you know sat down to talk to umar ibn al-khattab so the prophet uh, umar ibn al-khattab walked into the room of the prophet and he saw that the prophet was just getting up then he saw the markings of so the bed of the prophet was made out of like a palm the, the palm uh, tree uh, branches which is very uncomfortable by the way there's no bed sheets back then there was no and they used to do like certain types of silk and whatever None of that. The Prophet had none of that, right? He just literally palm tree branches, like uh, the date branches, you know, in, in palm trees. And that's how 
he used to make his bed from. Uh, and Umar al Khattab saw this and wallahi started crying. This is recorded in, in, in history, like in, in, in the biography of the Prophet. He started crying. And the Prophet looked at him and he was like a little, you know, uh, like surprised. Like, why are you crying? Again, Umar al Khattab saw the markings of those branches on the back of the Prophet. It left marks. It shows you how difficult his sleep was. So when he saw that he cried and the Prophet asked him like, are you okay? What's going on? He was surprised. He said, oh Prophet of Allah, Kisra, the king of the Persians back in the day, his name was Kisra, has these palaces, these silk, very comfy beds, massive bedrooms and, and, and just like it's a, imagine a palace of, of a kingdom, right? So Omar was like baffled by this. His mind boggled by this. Like, this guy is is a disbeliever, and you are the best human being ever created and will ever be created on the face of this earth. How come? How did it get to that? You are sleeping on a bed like this, and that disbeliever king, living comfortably, enjoying this life. How come? What did the Prophet say? Omar, come on, man. Keep your eyes on the prize, basically. He, of course, he didn't say exactly that, but I'm saying, he said what? Let them have this world. Let them have this life, this dunya. We shall take the hereafter. Look how smart the Prophet was. Incredibly smart. And that's what I keep telling you, my dear brothers and sisters. Be smart. Do you want to invest in this life or do you want to invest in the hereafter? Nobody's telling you it's, as long as you do a halal investment here. Nobody's saying don't do it. No, no, no. But I'm saying what's more important is investing in the hereafter. And the Prophet understood it. Understood that phrase. Well, akhiratu khayrun wa abqa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of A'la tells us the hereafter is better for the believer and everlasting. It's infinite. You don't die. Everything in it is permanent, unlike things in this life. So the Prophet told Umar, yeah, let, let, let Kisra and people like him and, and the king of, you know, or the emperor of Rome, whatever, let them have this life. Let them have palaces and kingdoms bedrooms and and huge you know rooms and whatever let them have that best of the food ever let them have that however they will have none of it in the hereafter as a matter of fact it will be the complete opposite it will be complete misery for them in the hereafter do not look at what your brother or sister in islam has when it comes to materialistic stuff when it comes to worldly things when it comes to provision when it comes to wealth however Look at them and compare yourself with them when it comes to the level of faith. This is actually allowed in Islam 100%. You are allowed to look at your brother or look at your sister and say, ah, they're better than me. They're better Muslims than me. Inshallah, I'm going to try my best to be either like them or even better. This is healthy competition. This is the only healthy competition, by the way, when it comes to comparing yourself to other Muslims in terms of what they have. 
Do you understand? This is healthy and this is required. As long as you don't wish that they will be less religious. That is, of course, that means you're just an evil human being. If you wish that someone is less religious, then you know, that's bad. You, 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 you're sinful. But if you're like, okay, so-and-so, they're, mashallah, they're very, very knowledgeable. So-and-so, you know, are, are very well-practiced Muslims and they're doing a lot. You know what? I want to have what they have. Only when it comes to faith, when it comes to the level of belief. I want to have what they have and actually I want to exceed that so I'm better in the sight of Allah. This is the only healthy competition that we should have and we all should think like that. We all should think like that inshallah and, and get motivated by them. But when it comes to provision in terms of this world, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to anything they own, do not look at, always look at the people. And here's something that the, that the Prophet told us. He told us, of course, do not look at someone who has more than you when it comes to money because it's sinful because that means you are not content with what Allah gave you. But always look at those when it comes to money who are less fortunate than you. And thank Allah for what you have. Well, I imagine how happy you will be. Every time you you think about looking at you know someone who has more money, pause for a second and then be like, but this these people you know don't can't eat. They they they, they don't have money to buy food, or those people don't have cars. They have to take transportation. When you ha- let's say you have a car, you own a car, or those people you know can't even they don't have a family. I do have a family. Compare yourself to people who are less fortunate than you, so you are thankful to what Allah gave you. Allah gave everyone something to work with. Just Allah is fair, by the way. Not everyone will get the same amount of money. Not everyone will get the same amount of abilities and features. No, no, no. Allah gave every single human being things to work with, tests to overcome and pass, and things to work with to be thankful for. Your test might be different. Some people, like I said before, might be born blind. That is their test. But Allah gave them other stuff to work with and Allah will reward them for being patient. Allah will reward them for working with the other stuff and thanking Allah for the rest of their senses, for example. Some people are born with, doesn't even have to be born. Some people face certain you know, obstacles and hardship in their lives. This is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should not be like, why am I being tested, oh Allah? And this person, person A, you know, A or person B, I, I see them every day. They're not being tested. You don't know, number one, what happens behind closed you know, doors. Number two, don't you dare tell Allah who he should give a test and who he shouldn't. Don't tell Allah what to do. And don't be, you know, um, uh, what's, uh, whatchamacallit, don't be um, unappreciative of what Allah gave you. Look at what Allah gave you. And if anything that Allah didn't give you, rest assured this, it is for a reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't withhold anything from you know a believer or a Muslim unless there's a test or there's something behind it that we just don't know the wisdom of. So that is, I just wanted to cover that part in the beginning. Now, when it comes to you know the current state of, of the Muslims, uh, there, I want to talk about, you know, there are two extremes, of course. You know, we have two opposite extremes. And we have those who are extremely, you know, um, conservative and extremely, you know, um, everything is haram, everything is shirk, everything cannot happen. And we have the other extreme, which is everything goes. 
You know, everything is Islam is is meant to make our lives easier. We don't have to pray. We don't have to fast. We don't have to do anything. And you know what? We should support Christians for believing in Jesus Christ, not support Christians as human beings. No. In their theology and or or and, and, you know the um the atheists they they also, you know, we can also support what they're coming from and everything goes. Sympathizing with everyone, you know, tolerating ideas and tolerating things that are contradicting to our religion, not tolerating human beings. I, we, we mentioned this throughout the season. We are, as Muslims, should tolerate dealing with human beings as long as they're tolerating dealing with us. However, no one on this earth is supposed to tolerate an ideology that contradicts their own, a belief that contradicts their own. You don't have to tolerate, like I don't have to tolerate what you believe in to tolerate dealing with you. I can tolerate dealing with you. I can deal with you every single day, no problem, right? I don't have to tolerate how you believe or what you believe in. That, it doesn't make sense if it contradicts my belief, right? So we have people who, no, 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 no. We have to tolerate all the belief system, right? All the beliefs out there, we have to tolerate it. And you have someone who's saying everything is wrong, haram, you shouldn't even leave the house. But of course, Islam is always in the middle. And that is the beauty of our religion. Our religion is not extreme in any way, shape, or form. And I'm going to give examples of the extremes. Actually, these are like, like people that I actually seen or met or heard about from even other scholars. Um, and then, again, like, like, like I said, we, we'll talk about it and we're going to discuss all these things, inshallah, to know where we stand as, you know, individually at least. So you have people, I'm going to start with the, with the really restrict uh, uh, extreme, which is people who say that everything is shirk, everything is haram. And, and, I, and I know um, people who are like that, specifically there's someone that I know, an individual, who literally you tell them anything, is like haram, shirk. Okay. You know, like uh, uh, same person we were talking about um, discussing in, in, in the LGBT uh, Q uh, issue and you know how Muslims should deal with that and and whether uh, people from the LGBTQ uh, are uh, supposed to be Mus like are Mus could be Muslims or not and the answer of course yes the only thing that takes you out of Islam is what being a mushrik committing shirk believing and there are actually ten things that take you out of Islam we had the, the, that episode or actually it was I, I believe three episodes. Uh, I think I don't know if it was season one or season two. I'm sorry. You can go back and check it. So, what takes you out of Islam is mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. Do not come up with your own analogy because you are sinful now. You're committing a major sin. You are literally saying something on behalf of Allah. Allah does not accept that. Look at this. The Prophet ﷺ told us that someone one time, uh, a man said. You know what? This guy, a guy was basically describing uh, someone. And he said, this guy is so uh, bad and so evil that Allah is not going to forgive him from all of the bad things he's doing. Allah responded, Man Who is speaking on my behalf here and saying that I'm not going to forgive that person? Then Allah addresses that person who said, you won't be forgiven. Allah is saying to him, I forgave that person that you said who won't be forgiven. And you, your deeds are all, all of your good deeds are nullified. Can you imagine this? This is a big deal, my brothers and sisters. Do not say, do not come up with your own halal and haram. Do not say that Allah won't forgive this. Do not say what is supposed to be and what is not supposed to be when it comes to Islam. 
You're not in that position. If it's proven by the Quran and the Sunnah and the scholars, then you can say it. Do not come up with your own verdict. Allah does not tolerate that. You do not speak on behalf of Allah. Again, the story is a man saw someone, let's say Muslim A, saw Muslim B. Muslim B is a bad person, and you know, does makes does a lot of you know, commits a lot of sins, does a lot of bad things and whatever. And Muslim A saw that and he said, You know what, man? You do so many bad things that Allah won't forgive you. Then Allah immediately responded. Who is this person speaking on my behalf? Talking about Muslim A. Who are you to talk on my behalf? You know what? This is Allah saying. I will forgive that person. Because you said that I'm not going to forgive him. I'm for, I forgave him for everything he did. Talking about Muslim B. And as for you, Muslim A, all of your good deeds are nullified. You have to restart all over again. Because you do not speak on my behalf. So the person who, the, you know, the, that person, for example, that I'm talking about, who basically said, no, LGBTQ members are not allowed to be Muslims or they're not Muslims. And then I debated with him and I said, where's your proof? Because we have proof of what makes you a non-Muslim. Anything else doesn't count. Anything you do outside of the 10 things that makes you a non-Muslim, like for example, trying to communicate with the jinn uh, and do black magic is a type of kufr. It's, you become um, uh, Now, even though th those 10 things that you do, even though if you do them and you don't know that they can take you out of Islam, you don't get out of Islam. You need to have the knowledge on how severe these things are and that they take you out of Islam. So that's how, can you see how Allah is merciful? How much, is, you know, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like if you do one of the 10 things that take you out of the fold of Islam, and I don't want to get into that, but if you do any of it and you don't know that they can take you out of Islam, you don't get out of Islam. You repent and when you realize later, you ask Allah for forgiveness. But if you know and if you're well aware of that these things can take you out of Islam and you still do them, yeah. Like for example, calling what's halal haram. Knowing that it's 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 for example it's halal and you say that it's haram and, and vice versa. Calling what's haram what's haram halal. You say, for example, you know what? No, this is halal. Knowing that it's haram, knowing that saying that will take you out of the fold of Islam, then you're not a Muslim anymore and you have to take your shahada. But guess what? You lost all of your good deeds because anyone who leaves Islam, willingly or not, or by doing these things. All of your good deeds are cleaned, wiped clean. Same thing when it comes to a non-Muslim becoming a Muslim. All of their sins gets wiped clean or all of their sins get nullified. They don't have any, any sins once they become Muslims. So yeah, be, be careful when it comes to that. Do not speak on behalf of Allah, number one. Number two, the, the things that are, take you out of Islam are known. We know them. You know, like uh, dealing in back magic, for example, saying what's halal, calling it haram, and calling what, what's haram halal. Uh, for example, saying that you do not have to uh, perform mandatory acts of worship. Like, I don't have to pray. I don't have to wear hijab. I don't have to fast. You're literally saying that while knowing the consequences. Yeah, you get out of the fold of Islam. Uh, another thing is, uh, forming an alliance against Muslims Forming an alliance with non-Muslims Against Muslims You know that's why saying be Going into an army of a non-Muslim army Against a Muslim nation Literally yeah that's a problem Knowing what, again you have to know this And you have to know that this Takes you out of Islam Again of course the, the, the biggest one is Shirk Worshipping someone uh, you know other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And it, it, there's a lot of things Making fun of the religion Knowing 
the consequences of that, right? When you make fun, take you out of the fold of Islam. None of it talks about being sinful and being, you know, part of the LGBT. None of it talks about being a homosexual or whatever. None of it. Do you know why? Now, if you do that, if you're part of the LGBT and you say, no, this is 100% halal, knowing, again, knowing what you're doing is wrong, knowing that Allah said it's haram, knowing that this could take you out of the fold of Islam, then yeah, you get out of the fold of Islam. But being a member of the LGBTQ while being a Muslim, and deep down you know that this is haram, or you believe sincerely, you know, like that this is what you're doing is the right thing, not knowing, being misguided basically, because some people do commit major sins, not knowing that it's haram. It's difficult, you know, that in today's world to not know what you're doing is haram, but maybe there are some people who don't know. Uh, but then they have it's on them to verify, by the way. That does not exempt them from being punished. You have to verify what you're doing is halal or haram, religiously speaking. Um, so yeah, none of that says that being a member of the LGBT, for example, takes you out of the fold of Islam. So that person, that individual that I'm talking about, is like saying, no, it does. Where does your proof, buddy? Like, where do you get this from? I already told you the sources. What is your proof? You know, and and this is something. And then the the conversation got really, you know, heated. And he said, no, we shouldn't be even talking about this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to bring this up. Why? Ah, it's just disgusting stuff. And I don't want to talk about it. Really? Literally, wallahi, what I'm telling you, wallahi, Allah is my witness. This is a conversation that actually happened with me and a brother out there. And I'm like, how are you going to prepare your children and tell them what's right and what's wrong when you don't even want to bring it up, when you don't want to learn about it from our religion? How are you going to prepare your children for that? Are you going to tell them, don't you ever dare talking about this? Because this is very unrealistic. Let's be honest. Blocking your children from knowing what's going on in the world today is the, I'm just going to say, is the worst thing you could ever do to your children. The worst thing. Do you know why? Because they will know about it whether you told them or not. So you should rather that it's be coming from you, not from society, not from schools, not from their friends, not from the internet, definitely not from the internet. Because everyone that will tell them this will have their own agenda. The internet, oh, love is love. Love is love. And and I'm not picking on the LGBT. I'm talking about in general, people who, you know, do certain things and, and, and like dating in general you know dating people you have to talk to children about that dating in general with heterosexuals like we're not talking about even the lgbt now talking about morals in our society you have to talk about it in a morally you know uh, logical religious way with your children do not let them learn about dating from dating websites or from social media because guess what social media they all romanticize dating and love and oh my God, this is incredible. And what's going to happen is they're not going to listen to you and they're going to listen to other people who are not even Muslims, who promote things that contradict Islam. Why? Because you did not want to face the fact that your children need to know about this. You need to speak. You felt that it was uncomfortable, so you avoided it. That is wrong, my dear brothers and sisters. That is absolutely wrong. You know, uh, other people, for example, they, uh, and, and this is, again, at the end of the day, everyone have a, a specific level of amen, but there is logic. There is logic that we need to use. Not speaking about something does not make it go away. You or your children or your grandchildren will definitely deal 
with anything you don't want to talk about, especially especially when it's in society. This is something that it's a trend now in our society. You have to be able to deal with it. You have to prepare your children to deal with it, not by hiding it from them, not by saying, I can never talk about this. That's That's actually very extreme. You don't live under a rock. You literally don't live alone. You live in a society, whether it's a Muslim society, by the way, LGBT, dating, all these things, they are now in Muslim societies. You go to Muslim countries and that, all, now it's it's masked, it's less obvious, but it's there. And you will be really naive to think it's not there. You know, I was talking to uh, friends of mine and they're saying, we're just going to take our family and just, you know, emigrate to like, whatever, a Muslim country. And I'm like, you're naive if you think you're leaving the West, going to a Muslim country will completely prevent this. No, it won't, because there's something called social media. It will reach anywhere and everywhere. Anyone, anyone has access to social media now. Your children. And because of social media, they apply it in their own society and community. It's that simple. And again, wallahi, you're naive if you think this is not the case. There is no escaping this. You have to face it and confront it. That is the only way. Anything that is immoral, that stands against our values as Muslims, you not you cannot run away from it. You have to stand and face it. How do you face it? Number one, knowledge. Number two, prepare your children. Do not shy away from talking to your children at a, an age that they would understand. Once they reach the age of understanding what's right and what's wrong, talk to them about sexual stuff. There's nothing taboo about it. I know there's in, in a lot of people, there's something. Uh, I can't talk to my child about like, you know, sexual stuff and dating and relationships. You're wrong. Yeah, that time used to be in back in the day when the society hasn't been so sexualized like today. Today, the society is very sexualized. It's better to come from you and your you know, spouse than it's coming from society itself. You know, do not shy away from having this conversation. Be friends with them. Treat them like they are smart. Now, I'm not saying treat them like they're adults. At a certain age, you can't treat them like they're adults if they're like little kids. However, treat them like they're smart. You know, tell them what's right and what's wrong and use logic with them. Don't just be like, Allah said that. Well, they don't know a lot about Allah. At that, I'm talking about at a young age. But tell them why. Because, you know, it's unhealthy. You should not do this. Talk to them about why dating is haram. You put yourself out there to another person who might you, most likely won't end up with. And when you do something that's unlawful, something that is, you know, it, it's, it's shameful to you and to your society and to your family, what are you going to gain? You know, don't cheapen yourself with someone else. And all that you could, again, this conversation could take so many turns depending on the child that you're talking to. But I'm just telling you, have that talk. Shying away from this talk. And I'm going to give you another example, actually, of an extreme like Muslim. There's someone else who basically was saying that I, I came across who literally said, my children... Uh, it was a sister who said my children will never ever deal with the opposite gender and I will prevent them from doing that and if they ever had to deal with the opposite gender it has to be from a very far distance and you know like they're keeping their eyes down and, and all these things this is wonderful and this used to work back in the days of the Prophet however today's a different world because when you shelter your children when you literally just eat again you don't live alone you live in a society if you want that go live somewhere else where 
because our society, like at least the Western society, wallahi, and a lot of the Middle Eastern society now, there's no segregation between genders, right? We do it in our Muslim community, in our Muslim, this is this is what we have to do. However, if you do this now, what's going to happen when your child goes to college? Forget about it. Let's say they're going to put them through Islamic school, uh, in Islamic schools through their, like, you know, all of the uh, years before college. What happens in college? What happens when they graduate high school? And they have to deal with the, they have no choice, by the way. Now, you could sit down and talk to them and tell them how to deal with the opposite gender Islamically. What are the manners that they should follow when dealing with the opposite gender? You know, what did Allah say? What did the Prophet say when it comes to dealing with the opposite gender? Or you just could say, you can't deal with genders, period. And that is, in my opinion, again, the worst thing that you could do to your child. Because they will learn, either they will be completely oppressed, and then they're going to go all out. And that happens. Wallahi, wallahi, these are live examples, my dear brothers and sisters. I've seen people who did not deal with the opposite gender for many years, and then they were they lived basically in a bubble. And once they got out of that bubble, guess what? They went all in. Dating, going out, mixing. Why? Because their parents never thought to tell them, there are there is an opposite gender. You can deal with them with respect, with boundaries. No. The parents said, no dealing. Do not ever look at them. It's very impractical. You can't say that. You can't say it's not okay. Wallahi. You're setting them up for failure. Because they will have to, and, and they will might be working on a project together in, in college. What are you going to do then? Pull them out of that project? Let them fail? Be practical muslims are practical you have to adapt again if you don't want to live in a society wallahi in 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 muslim countries colleges now we're talking about like saudi arabia and even saudi arabia there are they, this whole gender thing there is un unfortunately there is a breach in the system between you know when it comes to segregation between males and females you know and i'll be honest with you segregation is the best thing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked us to segregate and to not mix for a reason because it all it causes fitna. It does cause fitna. Fitna is basically it causes problems, instigations of uh, instigation of problems. You know, it causes fitna. Boys in classrooms when they're with, with, with girls, what happens? Boys act up because they want to look cool in front of girls. Girls act up and they want to look cuter because the boy it's a human nature. How do you beat that human nature? Following Allah's commands. Now we are in a country that by law, does not do that. You cannot do that in college. You can't request them to do that in college to your child, to you know separate them from the opposite. You can't do that. So what do you do? Either emigrate to a country that doesn't, which is I don't I don't see any country except maybe Saudi Arabia. I, I don't know honestly, but it's 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 whatever the number of countries that do that, they're shrinking. That number unfortunately is shrinking. But what are you going to do now? You work best with what you have. What do you have? Knowledge and the ability to talk to your children and educate them. Telling them, close your eyes, is never going to solve anything. It might cause bigger issues than you can imagine. So there is, again, this is the one extreme that says we cannot talk about certain things. Everything is haram. Everything is haram. Allah didn't say that. What are you talking about? Like, come on, do not make it hard on yourself, your family members, and the people you deal with. You know, imagine someone 
who uh, came, and, and this is actually a very interesting story. I'm going to tell you this story. There was a sister. She's now a sister, but before she she was a non-Muslim, uh, who was married to uh, a non-Muslim as well. They were both, I think they were both Catholic. And they both, uh, you know, um, she st- started studying Islam. She started being interested in Islam and she wanted to become a Muslim. She literally wanted to become a Muslim. She was so in love with Islam. Islam made sense to her. It was the logical religion. She could not convince her husband with that because he was tied up to the, 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 the religion of his parents and grandparents and he couldn't just leave his religion. So she came and, and she was asking if she can take the shahada. She wanted to become a Muslim, take the testimony of faith. And she mentioned that her husband is still Christian. Now, when if you or, or if a Muslim comes to that sister and tells her, you can't be a Muslim while being married to a non-Muslim. Because we know the ruling in Islam. A Muslim cannot marry a non-Muslim. A Muslim, uh, I mean, a Muslim female, a Muslim sister cannot marry a non-Muslim male. That's that's as clear as, you know, the sun. There is no debate about it. This is a 100% rule that has to, otherwise you're a major sinner. And you're going to keep sinning every, sec- every second you're with that non-Muslim husband for the rest of your life. Of course, I'm saying uh, a Muslim sister cannot marry a non-Muslim. That also applies on dating or seeing or even talking to privately or you know what I mean? This is all haram. You cannot do that. However, this sister's situation was different because she was married before she was a Muslim. Now, telling her that she cannot become a Muslim unless she divorces her husband, what does that do? That puts her in a big dilemma. That will make her rethink becoming a Muslim. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, what happens? Islam is still brand new religion for her. Yes, she was convinced. Yes, the iman started to go in her heart. You know, faith started to spread in her heart. Got it. But she's been with her husband for years and years. And you're expecting her to throw this relationship out of the window. Again, being with a non-Muslim does not take you out of the fold of Islam. Unless you believe, the, you, you say that this is right and there's nothing haram about that, then yeah. But being with a non-Muslim, she's like committing zina. She's she's committing adultery. It's a major sin, but she's still a Muslim. So would you rather, for those who tell her, you cannot become a Muslim unless you divorce your husband or leave your husband. I, by the way, they're automatically divorced. So she doesn't have to go through divorce. I mean, legally wise, she has to. But Islamically speaking, she can go marry someone else. No problem, because he's not halal for her. Unless he... She waits and he becomes a Muslim, but they cannot wait together. Do you understand? The moment she becomes a Muslim, he's not halal for her anymore. She can't even live with him in the same house. Now, would you rather, for those who tell her she cannot be a Muslim, would you rather her not becoming a Muslim at all, like leaving the idea of becoming a Muslim, or would you rather her become a Muslim and she's committing a major sin? What is better in the sight of Allah? You tell me. Being a non-Muslim in the first place, that means eternal eternity in hellfire. Or being a Muslim, committing a major sin, and maybe repenting from that sin later, or you know, asking Allah's forgiveness, or which one is better, logically speaking? It is becoming a Muslim while committing a major sin. Now, we can try to convince her. 
Because once you shut the door and tell her you cannot be a Muslim, how are you going to convince her? Like you can try to literally convince her, tell her that this does not please Allah. Who's more below? Who is worthy of your loyalty? Allah or your husband? And again, don't think that she's going to automatically immediately say Allah. We're talking about a brand new Muslim here. This is a situation that actually happened. You should not go and tell, again, you have no right to tell a Muslim, to, to tell someone who wants to become a Muslim, don't be a Muslim. Like that brother that I was talking about earlier, who was talking about the LGBT, he said we should not welcome them as Muslims. Are you insane? Are you insane? We should not welcome any anybody from the LGBT who wants to become a Muslim. We should not welcome them as Muslims. Are you? Did you lose your mind? With all due respect, of course. Did you lose your mind? You're literally denying them Islam. <laughs> You're denying them a rightful thing that Allah gave them. You, Allah gave them the right to become Muslims and you're saying, no, we don't need you in Islam. Who are you to say that? You know how, how that angers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You're putting rules by your, on your own to keep people away from Islam? Do not tell people there is no the only condition for people not to become Muslims if they don't believe in Islam, they worship other things, then it really doesn't matter because they're still not Muslims. If they worship any other entity beside Allah or you know other than Allah, guess what? They're not Muslims anyway. Do not ever tell somebody you can't be a Muslim unless you uh, become, for example, straight in, in, in LGBT or unless you uh, divorce your husband. They are major sinners, yes, but they're still Muslims. And you never know, they might repent from it and Allah will forgive them and they will have a better life than you do. So that is one extreme. Now we have, and, and, and of course this is the bad. Now we have people and, and, and who are simply trying their best. And that's what I'm talking about. We have people who are communicating with their children communicating with their friends or loved ones or you know family members and and this is what like this is very interesting and and this is something that you know i i tend to like you know follow which is this i talk to people if i see something wrong i i, I speak against it in a polite way that's what the prophet sallallahu taught us you know uh, when it comes to mannerisms speak in a polite way Preach Islam in a polite way. Do not be vulgar. Do not be condescending. And again, I know someone who is very condescending. Ya Allah, when he talks about Islam, when he believes, when he thinks he knows something more than you, he'll be like, <laughs> so yeah, you, you did not know that, right? What? Who is your role model here? You have to think about that, my dear brothers and sisters. Do not be condescending to anyone, whether they're Muslim or not. Ya ayyuha ladina amanu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Hujurat, verse number 11, told us all your believers, talking to the believers, look, do not make fun of any other nation or any other group or any individuals because they might be better than you. Do not make fun of them. Do not you know, be condescending to them. Do not look down upon them. Do not do any of these things because they might be better than you in the sight of Allah. They might be better than you. Imagine. They might be better than you. You just don't know it. You make fun of somebody. You're being condescending about the level of iman for somebody or the level of faith of somebody. 
but they deep like secretly they're better Muslims than you are. You don't know that. And Allah's saying, because you do not know intentions, you don't know what happened behind you know closed doors, do not make fun of them. Do not. Because actually sometimes even by making fun of them, you're making them better because they're not responding back to you. So in the sight of Allah, they are better Muslims than you are. Think about this. So yes, talk to people. When you see something wrong, try to address it. The Prophet told us, you know, if you see something wrong taking place, change it with your hands, meaning physically try to change it. If you cannot physically change it, if, for example, if it's against the law or you're not allowed to talk to somebody or, you know, do then be lisanic. Then say with your tongue, speak. So if you can't change something, like you're seeing some sort of oppression taking place, for example. Uh, you can stop it by blocking it physically, You're like somebody is beating somebody, so you try to do it. But if this is going to cause bigger issues, then speak to that person and say, stop doing that. You know. And if you can't do it by your tongue, then make dua to Allah. Always be active in terms of like trying to make the world a better place. However, there is a way to go about it. Don't be condescending. Don't be vulgar. Have some manners when you're doing that because you don't want to push people away from you. Allah told the Prophet ﷺ, if you were vulgar, people would have left you, would have, you know, not gathered around you, would have not listened to the message of Islam that you are preaching. We should learn from the Prophet ﷺ. But there are people who are doing that. And this is wonderful. You know, like I know a couple of people who are being nice to other people, other Muslims and non-Muslims. They're trying to preach Islam to them and, you know, and, 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 and it's good. And they're protecting their family as well by educating their children. And that is the ideal state, by the way. This is what I'm telling you right now is the ideal state for a Muslim. Educate your, learn first, become knowledgeable, then educate your children. Then talk to the, you and your children could be a beacon of hope to, let's say, a dull Muslim community. Let's say the Muslim, or not. You can help your Muslim community be there. Talk to them. You know, discuss in a, again, civilized manner. Like we are learning this from the Prophet And learn from the community if there's something that you're missing. And give the community if there's something that they are missing. That is the ideal Muslim. That is the ideal Muslim, Wallahi. You know, to do that. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. Just always try. Always be and keep to yourself. You know, um, there are bad things happening around the world. Like the, uh, like I said, the, the, there's just weird trends going on. There's weird realities that are taking place. And the society is being shaped according to those realities. All you can do is just stay, stay steadfast. And the only way you stay steadfast is by putting Allah first. There's a lot of Muslims out there, mashallah, that are putting Allah first. Allah comes first. When you're gathering with your friends, with your buddies, prayer time came. You have to pray. Stop everything and pray. Now, I'm not saying the moment the prayer, there is a window. Do not wait until the end of that window. At least pray in the middle. Do you understand? Do not miss your window. Do not get distracted by this life Without, because that, that shows that you're not putting Allah first, right? And then you forget about salah. And then because Allah said in the Quran, Allah is warning those, the people who pray, the Muslims, when they miss their prayers, when they keep missing their prayers. Now, if you miss it once or twice, or if you oversleep, or if you get distracted once or twice, or, you know, rarely, basically, then that's fine. Ask Allah for repentance, make up your prayer, and that's it. Don't, 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 don't worry about that part. I'm talking about those who are constantly not praying on time, constantly praying late, constantly. Allah is giving them, وَيْلُنِ الْمُسَلِّينَ Woe to them. 
Basically, there is a severe punishment. Imagine those who don't even pray in the first place. Can you imagine? Allah is addressing the people who pray and miss their prayers constantly. Allah didn't even tell you what he will do to those who don't even pray in the first place. Do you understand? Uh, by the way, ma- majority of the scholars, they say that those who don't pray on purpose, what we're talking about on purpose, who refuse to pray, they are not Muslims anymore. That's one of the things. There is actually a hadith that, that affirms that by the Prophet ﷺ, when he said, The Prophet ﷺ said, the difference between us and any other nation, any other non-Muslim nation, is salah, the five daily prayers. Whoever leaves it on purpose, فَقَدْ kafar. The Prophet ﷺ was very explicit. They disbelieved in Allah. Now we're talking about on purpose. Those who have shortcomings, those who are trying, but they're not making it, it's a major sin still. But those who are like, we're not going to pray. Yeah, this is disbelief, complete disbelief. Uh, so yeah, th- we have that group of Muslims and that's what we should be. Clean. We have. We, we, we need to look presentable. There are Muslims, mashallah, they smell good. They look good, you know. And that is that. Is that. Now, there are also other examples of, of uh, Muslims who are below the average. Meaning what? They don't pray all the prayers. Uh, if they pray, they pray. If they miss it, and we already talked about this, this is very problematic and major sin. And Allah is you know, warning those who do that. And I've seen also, I've, I came across a family that basically the the, the daughters uh, are not; they're fully you know adults, and they're not wearing hijab. Uh, and the, the the boys are you know smoking and doing stuff. And now you ask yourself, what kind of Muslims are they, right? And this is not judging people. We're not. We're talking about samples now. We're not mentioning any names or anything like that. We're just looking at samples. There's no judging when we talk about this as a concept, as a sample. The father and the mother, their role is critical in the household. And I've seen, like, I go in places, and and, and, and you know, when you go to the masjid during Eid time, actually, the moment they leave the Eid prayers. Many girls take off their scarves. They're not even hijabis, and they have the craziest amount of makeup. And it's 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 a festival. It's not religious <laughs> gathering. And with lights, I'm like, what's happening here? And it became culture. And I know people who just go to Eid to hang out with their friends at the masjid, not to pray the Eid, not because it's you know the Prophet told us to pray Eid. No. Is just to have fun, go out, and God knows some might go smoke some cigarettes or some even weed or hookah afterwards. There are samples of that. I'm not saying everybody does that, but they exist. Wallahi, they do, and you know that they do. So, how do we deal with that? You know, how, how do we handle that? Again, education. Educate these young Muslims, tell the sisters. If you think your beauty is by not wearing hijab because you don't want to hide, you know, the beauty, who is that beauty for? You're putting makeup on paint, face paints and what for who? For who? When Allah told you you should not be attractive. As a by the way, as a woman and as a man, you should not attract attention. But women they have of course because they're more attractive as a gender, Allah put more restrictions on them. That's very logical. When Allah tells you, hide that beauty and give it only to the one who marries you. And you're defying Allah. And now I'm not saying that you're doing it on purpose, but then what? 
rest assured that this beauty will go away, will fade when you grow older. This is the reality of this life. Beauty, health will go away. Wrinkles will start to show. And again, I'm going to repeat it. You will be covered with dirt. That's it. That's how you're going to end. So you're putting makeup and gaining sins instead of you know being able to gain good deeds just by being modest. You gain good deeds. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are some sisters out there who are trying to wear the hijab. They feel like they're not ready yet, but they they know that it's wrong. They, they know that they have to, because this is mandatory command. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us this, told the sisters they have to wear the hijab, right? And they're trying their best. This is good on you. Just try to speed it up because your life, you you know, could end any moment. And this is something that shaitan bets on, by the way. He wants you to die before fulfilling Allah's commands. So you get the sins for not fulfilling them and you don't get the good deeds for fulfilling them. Can you imagine? He keeps making die. Oh Allah, make her die now or, or make him die now. before. That's why when you have the intention to do good deeds, do it immediately ASAP because you don't know when your time will come on this earth and in this life. So, But there are sisters out there who literally don't want to wear hijab. And they say, well, I don't want to hide my beauty. I look ugly with hijab. Well, I swear I've heard this. I've heard this. Who are you trying to be beautiful? Allah is saying you are far more beautiful wearing hijab than any other human being and any other female on the face of this earth. Muslim sisters should be proud to wear hijab. You're pleasing your creator. You want to please society or you want to please some guys because you want, you want them to see you beautiful without hijab? Come on. Again, it's a matter of logic. Wallahi, this is logic. Forget about what you feel in your heart and the faith. This is logic. Do you want to please the one who created you and in his hands you could go to hellfire or to Jannah or paradise? Or you want to please a group of guys that you probably won't end up with any guy or any of them anyway. And granted, you know, some, some sisters, they, they know that they feel bad that they're not, you know, wearing hijab and they try their best. So we have that Muslim, like the, the little bit loose kind of Muslims. This is worse, by, by, by the way, and we're going to get to that in a second. You know, educate your children, educate the youth. I, and I, I get it, teenagers and, and, and these kids, they, they believe that, you know, it's all about life. They want to go out there and just live life. Guess what? Tell them that they are allowed to live life. Nobody's telling them not to live life. However, live it in a halal way. Please Allah and live life. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's not contradicting unless you really want to live life in a haram way. You know, uh, people who drink, people who smoke, Muslims, I'm talking about Muslims, who drink and smoke and, you know, uh, get with the other genders. Why? These are all major sins. Why? Why are you committing? If you die tomorrow or if you die actually today, what did you gain? Nothing but Allah's anger. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Everything you do won't matter. Are you having a good time? You know, t- taking a sip of this alcohol, you're having a good time. And this is going to end right after. Being with the opposite gender, physically or even not, just being going out with them, wonderful, having a great time. What else? What else? Nothing. Are you going to marry them? You could have married them without being with them in a haram uh, way in the first place. Smoking. You know, smoking drugs or whatever, or you feeling good for how many hours? Sometimes it's minutes, right? Then what? 
Gain nothing because nothing is permanent. Pleasures in this life are not permanent. Hardship in this life is not permanent. What's permanent is Allah's anger if you do not repent. Sins are not permanent because you could repent from them. But if you keep committing the same sins for small pleasures, guess what? And you die upon that, then you got your sins. Those sins on Allah's anger, that's what you have with you in the grave. And instead of trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm just saying, it's it's small pleasures. It's all temporary. And you're exchanging those temporary pleasures with Allah's anger. Just think about it. Wallahi, it's, it's, just, it's about logic. Again, it's not about how you feel in terms of faith and how deep your faith is. Be a smart Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ told us to be smart. Think about the hereafter before thinking about this life. Now, I want to move on to the last segment, uh, which is the totally opposite extreme of the conservative Muslims, which is the completely loose Muslims, the completely liberal, you know, Muslims who call for all insane stuff. Like, for example, we have Muslims in today's world who fight for the right of the LGBT. Now, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to you is we can deal with the LGBTQ people we should not want to harm them like harm the, the individuals you know we should not want them to have their human rights taken away because this is something that Allah gave to every single human being the human rights however we cannot support their belief we cannot support their ideology because for one simple reason it contradicts what Allah told us it contradicts the teachings of the Prophet that came from Allah. So do you want to please a group of people, human beings in general, any type of human beings, by angering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is that your plan? Because if that's your plan, good luck with that because you lost, already lost, you're hereafter. Again, I'm not saying go attack or try to take away the rights of LGBT when it comes to human rights. No. But do not support them. Do not call for them to have more power to influence our children. And Because it is a sin. We know that. There's no denying. There's no going around it. It's a major sin. What's happening? Homosexuality. Changing genders. You are de- These people are defying Allah's ultimate creation and nature. Okay. They have their belief. We have ours. Do not go support them because now you are defying Allah as well. And don't say, well, we need to make them allies because we are in a country that we need the minorities to be our allies. No, because guess what? They do not support your cause because if they do, they will say Allah is the only God. Islam is the true religion. Do they say that? Because if they say that, then they should become Muslims, but they don't. So it's an illusion that you are fooling yourself with and you think you're fooling others, but you're not. You know, you have people who are very, they want to blend in society. If, if it's a non-Muslim society, they really want to blend in. They feel like they want to belong to the non-Muslim society. And that is a, it's a great sadness. We'll lie. This is sad. Because that means that those people don't have a Muslim identity. They lost their Muslim identity. They're not Muslim anymore. If you as a Muslim want to blend in in a non-Muslim society, this is fine, by the way. However, if that blending in will cost you 
your religious values, the Islamic values, if that's going to contradict Allah's commands, then yeah, you lost your Muslim identity. You don't have an Islamic identity anymore and you want to lose it. You want to look cool and be like, oh man, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know Islam could be rough sometimes. Yeah. What? I'm saying this because I've heard Muslims saying that. I'm not just coming up with fake stories. I've heard Muslims saying that. It's a sad reality. They want to blend in. They want to feel like they belong because they're lost. And the reason why they're lost is because they don't have the proper foundation of our religion. Now, whether that is because of their parents or they were not interested in the first place, it's just simple. They don't have the proper foundation. They're not solid when it comes to Islam. They want to blend in with others who their values may very well contradict Islam, but they don't have a problem with that. As long as they blend in and they be looked at as, you know, part of the group, part of the trend. You know, you see people calling for all religions are all religions will enter Jannah. Who said that? Other religions don't believe in that. Why would you say that? You know, there's a concept in in, in Islam. It's very profound and was controversial because uh, a lot of Islamophobes use, which is called al-wala' wal-bara. What is al-wala' wal-bara? Al-wala' wal-bara literally it translates to uh, association and disassociation. Uh, al-wala' wal-bara. Uh, basically, when it comes to non-Muslims, it, it's it's about associating with, Mus- with non-Muslims as a Muslim, and disassociate. When do you associate with non-Muslims, and when do you disassociate with with non-Muslims? And this concept was used by non-Muslims to say, look, look, their religion tells them not to be friends with us, not to be close with us. Actually, it's, it's not true. Their religion tells them to keep away, to keep separate. They are, you know, that's why they are dangerous. That's because their religion does not want them to collaborate with us. There's no peace between us. It's all bogus. That concept, actually, the wala' wal bara is a very solid concept. We have that concept in Islam, 100%. However, they misinterpret it. So, al wala' wal bara is basically a concept that tells you this. As a Muslim, you cannot love a non-Muslim because they're non-Muslim, because of their belief system. For example, لا تجد قوما يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله ولو كانوا آباءهم أو إخوانهم أو عشيرتهم to the end of the ayah. So let me explain. In the chapter of Mujadala, verse number 22, Allah is saying, you will never find a, a group of people who believe in Allah and the day of judgment. Talking about believers. That they are very close, they are very tight, they are very they have a solid and a, and a very close relationship with people who rejected Allah and His Messenger. Even, even if those people were their fathers, their parents, their children, or their siblings, or even their community. Allah is saying because those people They're talking about the believers Allah put in their hearts belief That will prevent them from falling in love with those non-Muslims Because of that Now people when people read this, this verse They say what? Well this is very clear Islam is telling you you cannot be friends or close friends With non-Muslims Even if they were your own family Actually that is very inaccurate what Allah is saying is that you cannot fall in love with someone who had the law wa rasulu. 
you cannot fault with someone who has a problem with Allah and his messenger. And because of that, you're friends with them. You always find something wrong in your heart. Because actually, if you think about it, those who say that Muslims are not supposed to be friends with non-Muslims, actually, that contradicts something in Islam that allows a Muslim man to marry a woman from the people of the book, a Christian woman or a Jewish woman. You guys don't remember that this is a thing? This is in Islam. It's allowed. So are you trying to say that Islam tells a husband, a Muslim husband, to not be close to his you know, Christian wife or Jewish wife, to not love his Christian wife, that doesn't it doesn't make sense in the world. It does not make sense. What's meant here is that as a Muslim, you cannot fall in love or be even close friends with someone because they hate Allah and His Messenger, because they rejected Allah and His Messenger, because they have a problem with Islam or they are not Muslim. If you are close with someone because they're not Muslims, then you're not a believer. It's that simple. Allah is saying you're not a believer. You can't be a believer. You're not among the believers. Now, when it comes to the, the, the religious love, we're not allowed to do that. Otherwise, we're not believers. But you are allowed to have this worldly love, like getting married to a Christian or a Jewish, of course, with the conditions that we talked about before. Here's the biggest example of that. The Prophet ﷺ, who was his uncle, Abu Talib, he was a pagan. He was a disbeliever. He died as a pagan and he loved him so much. So for those who say Muslims are not supposed to be close with non-Muslims, here, here's an example right there. Here's the biggest example right there. The Prophet ﷺ and his uncle, he loved his uncle so much. And he was saddened and heartbroken that his uncle did not uh, become Muslim before he passed away. But he still loved him. So no, when it comes to the worldly love, we are allowed to. There's no problem. We can be friends with them. But you cannot be friends with them because they're not Muslims. And believe it or not, there is a group out there, a minority. But they do exist. They're like, I'd rather deal with non-Muslims than Muslims. What? Yeah, because it's, 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 it's sad. But rest assured that it's because you want to be friends with non-Muslims for being non-Muslims, not because you happen to know them or you know happen to like their personality. No, no, no. For being for their theology, for their creed, for just being the, for the fact that they're not Muslims. Yeah, you're not a believer. It's that simple. So that is, in, in a nutshell, of course, uh, the concept of wala and bara. You cannot uh, make an alliance, like we said, with a non-Muslim group against Muslims. You cannot. Do you understand? And and there will be actually it is allowed in certain like for example if the Muslims are extremists and they are like murdering Muslims and that will happen actually towards the end of time. We're going to talk about this when we talk about it. But this uh, this type of alliance, yes, if you need to stop a threat by certain groups of Muslims who are actually not practicing Islam, this is a different story. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a group of innocent Muslims that you're making an alliance against them with non-Muslims. You're not supposed to do that. And that is also again with the concept of association and disassociation, al-wala' wal-bara' is a very famous concept in Islam. You can look it up. So basically, we should not follow the trend. And the reason why we follow the trend is because we lost our Islamic identity. Find your Islamic identity. It's something that you should be proud of. It's a badge of honor that you should always put on. Wallahi. A badge of honor. I am upon the religion of truth. If I follow Allah's commands, I shall enter Jannah and enjoy it for eternity. Something that we cannot enjoy in this life, which is eternity. We cannot. We're all going to die. This concept of eternal life doesn't exist now. It will exist in the hereafter. Be smart. 
you know, trying to blend in and and follow certain societies. And come on, like, wallahi, I see crazy things on social media. Like Muslim sisters who are lip syncing and wearing the most ridiculous clothing, dancing, singing, and like thousands and thousands of people are watching that sister or that brother who takes off his clothes and keeps dancing. And Where is our dignity as a nation? Where is that? Where is it? You know, some conservative Christians, they look at Muslims now because of the LGBTQ and, and the gender confusion, all these things as heroes. I've seen it with my own, my own eyes. I've seen interviews with conservative Christians, you know, in, in, in Western lands, looking at Muslims are like those people. They, they know what's up. They know that they have commands from their Lord. They follow it. When you follow the trend and you dance and you, you do certain, it's just ridiculous. And what are you gaining from this? By the way, everyone who looks at these videos, and let's say you, you made that video as a sister or as a brother to show off your body or to do something inappropriate. Every time someone looks at that video, you're taking extra sin because you're promoting that Muslims, hey, we're cool. We could be you know clowns and we could do these things online, no problem. And not just clowns, we can commit sins in public. I'll never forget, I'll never forget this trend on social media that when Ramadan came. Wallah, it was, I wanted to laugh, but I wanted to cry at the same time because of how ridiculously sad it was. Muslim sisters and brothers, they go, this is the first Ramadan with my boyfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? And I thought it was a prank at first, and I'm like, and, and my friends send me these things. It's not like I go like search for them. My friends send me this, and I, and I look at the comments, and yeah, my first Ramadan, mashallah, sister, mashallah, brother, with my girlfriend. A brother say, this is my first Ramadan with my girlfriend. Make dua for us. Are you out of your mind? You're promoting haram. Remember, we said, boasting about a sin will never be forgiven unless you sincerely repent from it. Allah could forgive the sin if you don't repent from it. Allah could forgive. The thing that Allah will never forgive is you boasting about your sin. And guess what? There is nothing more boasting than putting that sin on social media into the pub for the public to see. What are you doing? Where are we heading? But alhamdulillah, you look at this and, and you look at you know the, the shortcomings and all the bad things. And at the same time, we have beautiful, wonderful brothers and sisters who become Muslims, who are non-Muslims. And I have, mashallah, very, uh, a very healthy amount of, of that listening to the podcast. For those of you who know who you are, my dear brothers and sisters who communicated with me, may Allah bless you and increase your knowledge and increase your faith. So it's not like we're going downhill. There is a lot of shortcomings. There's a lot of problems that could be fixed when, if we are determined enough to teach our young Muslims, our youth, our children. We teach them the right you know, concept of the religion, the right theology. Who is Allah? What should we do towards Allah? What Allah could do to us? Hellfire? Jannah? Which one do you want to go to? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us you know, his means to spread the truth. And make more non-Muslims realize the truth. Because every non-Muslim who realizes the truth, they're being saved from hellfire. So, let me conclude by saying this. Do not become extreme in the religion and become extremely 
conservative. There are things that we do not tolerate. You know, what's halal is halal, what's haram is haram. We know that. But do not come up with your own halal and do not come up with your own haram. This is a big deal in the sight of Allah. Do not live in a bubble. Do not. Do not take your family and go live in a bubble and say, I'm never going to deal with the outside world. I'm never going to deal with society. You are wrong. You will. And your children will. And it might have really bad consequences if they don't know what they're up against. The ideal state is deal with society with knowledge. Have knowledge as your shield. Shield your children with knowledge and deal with society. Deal with society in a proper manner. Key boundaries between genders, yes. But you need to know that you have to deal with opposite genders, but deal with them respectfully like the Prophet ﷺ used to. Realize that at the end of the day, you do your best following Allah's commands and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Apply this to your daily life and Allah shall help you, inshallah. At the end of the day, the, the, the son of Prophet Nuh, Prophet Noah, he was a disbeliever. Does that mean that his father had shortcomings and he could not, you know, he, he failed as a father? No. It's just one of, you know, there was a one bad seed. And that was it. There was one bad seed, which was that son, and he got his punishment, but the rest was good. So do your best and do not beat yourself up when your child, you know, becomes misguided a little bit. Keep insisting on pulling them back. To the religion of Allah, like, and I had, uh, I remember, I had a Q and A earlier, uh, you know, a couple of episodes ago, about if you learned that your child is from the LGBTQ, uh, w- w- or, or like a sibling or whatever, a family member, what do you, what should you do? Should you disown them? Absolutely not, because now you are fueling the fire. You're making them. You're telling them there's no hope for you. Go be whoever you want to be, and it doesn't matter what Allah tells you. And you're basically giving them the permission to go and commit more sins. Do not disown them. Be there for them, because that's how you will give them the right instructions about what Allah told us. That's how you're going to give them the right message of Islam. Not by telling them, don't ever come to my house again. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear your name. No, that's actually not how you go about it. You know, make them understand that they are loved. But at the same time, they are committing major sins and this is not good for them. You know, there is this profound example that I came across the other day and it's just very profound, subhanAllah. When for, for the parents who basically do not wake up their children to pray Fajr because their children are still young and they feel bad for them and, and they don't want to disrupt their you know sleep or whatever. Ask them this question. If your house is on fire, if your house is on fire, would you wake up your children to escape the house, to evacuate? The, the answer without a doubt, without even hesitation will be, yes, I'm going to wake them up. I'm going to pull them up, the, oh, you know, off the bed, get them dressed, run. Even like just run, leave the house because they will die. If they were, if, you know, if, if we burn in the house, we're all dead. That is exactly the same case. It's just in the hereafter. You want to save your child from, you know, being thrown in hellfire? Wake them up to pray fetch. Get them used to that. And that applies on other things, not just waking up for fajr. Let them leave their comfort zone. Jannah is not cheap. And at the same time, it's not unreasonable to get to Jannah. Allah told you exactly what to do. Just get out of your comfort zone. You know, do not try to, again, take things lightly. 
the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not take them lightly if you want to be a good Muslim. And and here's the thing. For for the brothers and sisters who uh, you know, go on social media and they try to gain followers and which one would you rather be? A celebrity in this life or a celebrity in the hereafter? Now I'm I'm talking to you guys and you're listening to me, right? Why are you listening to me? Perhaps the timing I'm where I'm talking and where you're listening, it's not around the same time. But let's assume that I'm talking, you're listening. The angels, there's something called malaikatun tawafun, travelers. They just, there's many, many angels. I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot of angels out there who fly around to see who is remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you have your, whatever, headphones or you're listening to the podcast, this as actually counts as remembering Allah. You're listening to something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those angels sit down around you and surround you with their wings. Me talking to you, that happens to me too, alhamdulillah. And it also happens to the receiving person, right? So that it happens to me and it happens to you. Maybe in two different times, it doesn't matter. Now, they surround you with their wings. And once you're done, they fly to Allah with your name. They say, so and so, we're listening to Again, a podcast or something about you, Allah. They were listening. They were gaining information, knowledge about you, Allah. Here's the interesting part. Let's say that someone, you were listening to this on a speaker or whatever, and someone was sitting next to you, and he was not listening or she was not listening. But they happened to be in, in the vicinity, right? Then Allah says, who else was there? So they say, so also was there, but they were not even listening. They were just there. Allah, subhanAllah, look, this is an authentic hadith by the Prophet Then Allah will say, write their name also from those who are forgiven Now, you are forgiven up until this point That means you can make sins after this point, right? But then the angels will say, but Allah, th- th- that person was not even listening It's okay, the fact that they were there While there was remembrance of me Gives them that right Gives them that, like, I'm, I'm, Allah is feeling generous always, all the time So Allah gave them that extra blessing be from those. Be from those. Be from this is this is you being a celebrity among the angels right now. They took your name and they go, went back to Allah. They took my name, they went back to Allah. They took the other person's name and they went back to Allah. You are a celebrity. That's what matters. Being a celebrity in the heavens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? Oh Jibreel, he called Jibreel, Angel Jibreel. And he will tell him this. Oh Angel Jibreel or Gabriel, I love this person. So you need to love him. So Angel Jibreel will call upon the angels in the heavens and he will say, Oh angels, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that person. You need to love him. And the angels will respond, We do, O Allah. Can you imagine? But how does Allah love you? When you are conscious of him. When you're striving. Not when you're perfect, because no one is perfect. But when you try your best to please him when you do things for his sake Allah's love is the only love that matters not followers not you know cool people in the society or the Muslim community you don't need to look cool if Allah loves you he'll make the believers in this world love you and if Allah doesn't like you he will make the believers in this life don't like you as well and that's what matters Um, Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.